Let's pray. Father, thank you for this joyous day. God, thank you for giving us a reason to celebrate. Lord, we know this life can be hard. We know this world can be brutal. But God, you continue to show that you reign supreme over all things. Lord, the resurrection stands as a moment in time which displays your glory and your power and your love and your grace and your mercy and your promises. And God, we stand on those things and we celebrate them today. Lord, thank you that today is not about a bunny, but it's about the lamb who has overcome. And thank you for the resurrection, Lord of our Savior. And God, today as we worship, as we celebrate, Lord, invade our hearts and our minds and our spirits, push out all that would distract us, push out all that would bring resistance, Lord, to what you would want to say to us. God, we come with hungry hearts, hungry minds, and hungry souls, Lord. Feed us. Holy Spirit, teach us. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, Amen. Well, He is risen. Yeah, it's good to see you this morning. Welcome, welcome again. Uh, for the sake of the guest, my name is Chad, one of the pastors on staff. So glad that you're here. Uh, if you're a guest, we're just grateful that you have come this morning and you're taking time to be with us. We welcome all the guests online that are watching live right now. Thank you that you're with us and you're gathering with us here. Speaking of gathering, uh, I was reminded this week of a special gathering I had years ago. It was a gathering of people that were uh, everywhere from you know, babies on up to senior citizens. It was a collection of people that some lived locally and close by. Some were uh, from a distance away. It was just a, a mix of people. But they were all family and friends because this gathering was my wedding day. It was the day that I married Rika. And at this gathering, there was a message. And a, a friend of ours, a pastor, stood before us, and he reminded us of God's design for marriage and for love. He reminded us of the, the, the sober and joyful commitment that we were about to make um, by entering into marriage and the covenant that we were making before God. And so at this gathering, there was this message, and there was a response that we needed to give. And so Rick and I, of course, uh, graciously, joyously responded to this message by exchanging vows in front of God and our family and friends. We exchanged rings. Uh, we got to exchange a big fat kiss. That was my favorite part of that moment, you know, and responding to that. And uh, we made a response. And because of that response, because of our uh, union, union um, we got great benefits. I'm still enjoying the benefits of being married to my best friend. I have an amazing wife, a faithful wife. Um, we've been able to um, experience intimacy and joys and challenges together. We've been able to give and receive care and encouragement. Uh, we got a lot of gifts from our family and friends. That was a great benefit of that moment. Um, we got to start a family together. And so it was a great gathering. It was a great message. It was a great response. We've had great benefits. Think of times that you were at a gathering and maybe there was a message and it demanded some sort of response and because of that response, it brought benefits into your life. Maybe it was your marriage, your wedding day. Maybe it was your graduation or someone stood at a convocation and, you know, they, they spoke about the value of your education and the hard work that you gave and, and uh, they conferred you a degree and, you, you know, you received that and the benefits that came from that. Where was a gathering that you heard a message and you responded and it's brought benefits? Well, I want to take you back to a gathering over 2,000 years ago. It was the gathering after the very first Easter, the very first resurrection. 
And this is found in the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter 2. And we're a Bible-teaching church. We hope all of you walk through the doors with uh, your Bibles in hand because uh, no matter what happens up here, we believe God's going to speak loudest to you through his word. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles right now to Acts chapter 2, or if you have a Bible application on your device, fire that thing up. If you're here today um, and you actually don't have a Bible, there's not a Bible to be seen in your house, car, life, anywhere, we'd love to give you one as a gift. So stop by the information center on the way out. We'll give you a Bible for free. Happy Easter. And what we're going to look at right now is we're going to go back in time, just over 2,000 years, and we're going to see a gathering of people. And what we see in Acts chapter 2, and we're just going to zoom in and out different verses in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 2 verse 5, it says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as you continue to read those first verses in Acts chapter 2, it talks about the makeup of these people. 2.11 said there were Jews and proselytes. These were converts uh, to Judaism. This was a large religious gathering of people. It was religious people gathered for a religious reason. And so it was a mixed crowd. There were young, there were old, there were people that lived there in Jerusalem. There were people that had traveled miles to come. There were people looking for hope. There were people looking to be made right with God, and they were gathered. And one of the reasons they were gathered is because it was a special holiday. It was a spiritual holiday. It was called Pentecost. It's also known as the Feast of the First Fruits. And the Feast of the First Fruits in the first century, all those uh, Jewish people would converge on the Jewish temple. It was kind of like Thanksgiving. They would come and just thank God for the crops and for the harvest. And so it was a spiritual holiday. So do you see what we have here? It was a spiritual holiday, and there was a spiritual gathering of people. That's not that different than what we're experiencing today. We're all here because we either have a faith in the Lord or we have a family member who has a faith in the Lord and they drug us here and you've got one arm longer than the other because, you know, they're dragging you out of the house, into the car, out of the car. Um, Whatever it is, there's a religious uh, essence to why we're here on this day, which is a religious day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there was a spiritual group of people rallied around a spiritual day. Here's a spiritual group of people gathered around a spiritual day. And so... Uh, we see that there was a gathering, and at this gathering, there was a message. There was a message. And on this day of Pentecost, over 2,000 years ago, it was not business as usual. It was not going to just be the average annual Pentecost experience uh, for the people of Jerusalem, because all the events that led up to this moment were profound. You had Jesus Christ who was crucified on the cross and all the, the hype and all the you know, dynamics that were around that. Jesus was pulled off that cross. He was put in a grave. And on the third day, he rose. And what we see on this day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit of God came upon the followers of Christ on that day. It was the birthday of the church. And at this moment, all the followers of Christ were hiding. They saw what they did to Jesus. They didn't want to be next. And so they were hiding out of fear of the Jewish officials, not of the Roman authorities. They didn't want to be the next one killed. And so they were hiding. But when the Holy Spirit of God came upon and indwelled these believers in the first century, they were filled with a boldness. And they left their place of hiding. And they made a beeline right for the temple. They didn't, they didn't go to some little corner in Jerusalem, some little side street. Start talk. They went right to the hot spot, man right to Jerusalem, knowing that this message they were about to proclaim could and would cost them their life. But they knew that God had told them to go and preach this message. Well, what was the message? Well, we can see little snippets of it here. Look, in, look at verse 14 in Acts chapter 2. 
talks about the apostle Peter and the other 11 disciples with him. It says, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. He's gathering their attention. There was no microphone. There were thousands of people in the temple that have come for this day of Pentecost, the, the feast of first fruits. And then in verse 21, 22, and 23, these verses, we see really the, the essence of this message. He said, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that good news? That is still good news today. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The first part of this message that Peter gives is he recaps the history. And for those who weren't aware of Jesus because they've traveled from afar, and for those who were very aware of Jesus because they were there in Jerusalem, he says, remember Jesus? Here's who he was, and here's what he did, and here's what you did. <laughs> you killed him. And so we see here that, that uh, he's giving a history lesson. Now, now, a lot of people today still struggle. They go, we don't know if Jesus was really real. We're so far removed from the life of Jesus, there are some people who are saying, well, Jesus wasn't even a real person. And that's just absolutely ludicrous. Because you don't even need to go very far to realize, I mean, you go to Wikipedia, okay? All right, like, like go, go and get this month's National Geographic, right? I mean, like, Jesus was a real person. And, and obviously the biblical history and, and, and biblical evidence uh, give validation to the fact that Jesus was a real person. Uh, you, you can take a trip to Israel, and that'll seal the deal for you really fast that, you know, Jesus was real. But, but it wasn't the fact that Jesus was real, a real person, that's the bigger part of the difficulty for people. It's the fact that he resurrected from the grave. But even in dealing with the fact that he was a real person, you've got sources outside the Christian faith that validated the reality of Jesus. Uh, just two of those examples. Um, one was a Jewish historian named Josephus. Right around AD 94, he wrote in a book called The Antiquities of the Jews, he wrote, And there arose about this time Jesus, a wise man, if indeed we should call him a man, for he was a doer of marvelous deeds, a teacher of men who received the truth with pleasure. Here's a guy who was a Jewish man, did not believe that Jesus was God's Messiah for the earth. He's a historian. He's going, oh yeah, that's Jesus guy was real. He was a man, well, kind of a man. He was doing some pretty crazy stuff. And so he, he was a real dude, all right? Fast forward 20 years, you got another guy, Tacitus. He's a Roman historian, and he wrote a book surveying the history of Rome, and in it he described something that the Roman Emperor Nero said. He said, about Roman Emperor Nero, he punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians. And he went on to write that their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius, um, had been executed in Tiberius's reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. And so you, here you have a Roman historian, not a believer in Jesus, not a follower of Jesus. He's going, oh yeah, Jesus was a real dude. We were very aware of our Roman history. Pontius Pilate took care of that guy. And so Jesus was clearly a real man. But again, it wasn't the fact that Jesus walked the earth that causes a lot of people to struggle, is did Jesus rise from the grave? It's the next part of Peter's message that people struggle with. Because as Peter comes and says, you know what, this Jesus you crucified, you look at verse 24, he said, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32, 
It says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Jesus Christ was raised to life. This is verifiable, validated, evidential, historical fact. But we have to wrestle with it. We have to choose to believe or not believe. Now, I just want to take a minute to say, here's some of the main reasons that we can believe that the crucifixion of Jesus was um, not only a real incident, but that his resurrection was also a real event. We know that Jesus was publicly crucified in Jerusalem, but we also see that he was placed in a borrowed tomb in Jerusalem, and it was guarded by the Roman military. Let's just pause for a minute. Who borrows a tomb, right? Hey, Joseph of Arimathea, I just need your tomb for a few days because I'm not going to be in there very long. You can have it back when I'm done. Who guards a tomb? What were they worried about, you know? I mean, this was this, the fact that so much attention was, was given to this tomb just heightens the reality of the resurrection. Obviously, one of the largest pieces of evidence for the empty tomb is the fact that three days later, the tomb was empty. And we're reminded all the time that the Lord rolled away the stone not to let Jesus out. When you look, look in, at the Bible, at the uh, resurrection appearances of Jesus, there were times he just showed up. The disciples are locked in a room. No one can get in. Poof, Jesus is in the room. He didn't need to like climb through a window or open a door. He just materialized right in the room. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away to get out. The stone was rolled away so we could look in to know that he was risen, to know that he was alive. And so we look at the empty tomb as a big piece of evidence. We look at the fact that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people over the course of 40 days. The disciples said they had real encounters with the resurrected Jesus. We see here in verse 32 that they said, we are witnesses. And, and just look at the disciples. A, a huge evidence of the resurrection is just the transformation in the disciples. Here they are hiding in fear. They don't want to die. Holy Spirit comes. Um, they've seen the resurrected Jesus. And they break out of their hiding. And they're, they're proclaiming Jesus boldly in the hot spot of all places, knowing that this could lead to their persecution and death, in which it did. And so just the transformation in the lives of the, you know, they didn't just have a huddle and go, let's go team. I mean, they were willing to die for what they saw and what they encountered. That's a huge evidence of the resurrection. We see that the resurrection was and has been the central message of the Christian faith. The central message of the Christian faith is not works. It's not religion. It's not morality. It's sure not politics. The central message of the Christian faith is that we live and love and serve a risen and living Savior. That's the central message of the Christian faith. Why? Because the resurrection's the epicenter. It's the cornerstone. It's the foundation. And because of that foundation, another evidence to believe in the resurrection is the growth of the Christian church. You're talking about one of the most persecuted people, even to this day. People who name the name of Christ can be beaten, killed, and all sorts of horrific stuff done to them. Even ISIS is targeting Christians. Why? Because the resurrection's real. And you still have people today who are driven by the reality of the resurrection, and the church continues to grow despite persecution. You see that the Orthodox Jews who came to believe in Christ, they, they were very set in their ways, and they worshiped on particular days. They changed the days they worshiped once they were in Christ. That's a huge piece of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Two people in particular, one, James. James was a half-brother of Jesus. Try to grow up under the shadow of Jesus as your brother. Why don't you be more like your brother Jesus? He's perfect. <laughs> Literally. You've got, you've got James, half-brother of Jesus, who was skeptical. He heard the things his brother was saying. He saw the things he was doing and going, my brother, I think a guy fell on his head or something, man. But after he encountered the resurrected Jesus, he converted and he became a devoted follower. 
You look at a man named Saul, otherwise known as Paul, who was a zealous Jew who persecuted Christians. He had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, transformed him to be one of the most faithful followers of Jesus ever known. And these are all evidence of the resurrection, that although nobody expected to find no body, Jesus fulfilled his own predictions that he would rise from the grave. We can look at the resurrection and know with confidence that it's true. Look at the impact the resurrection has on our own lives. I mean, the resurrection stands as an intention-getting sign for unbelievers. We all have to wrestle with the fact that the tomb was and is still empty. The resurrection helps counter a believer's doubt. Times of doubt, we can point back to the resurrection and go, no, Jesus is true. The resurrection is true. And resurrection counters our doubt. The resurrection serves as the guarantee that Jesus' teachings are true. Why do we take so much credit? Why do we look at the teachings of Jesus and give them so much weight and authority? Because he's God. Well, how do, know, how do we know that he was God? Because he rose from the grave. So it validates the strength of the teachings of Jesus. The resurrection helps empower believers to daily live the Christian life. It's hard to be faithful, but the resurrection helps us be faithful. The resurrection combats our fear of death. Fear of death is still the number one fear. We don't need to be afraid to die. When we look at the resurrection and we start to understand the resurrection, it removes and offsets the fear of death. The resurrection gives us supernatural hope and joy that when all else seems to be going crazy, because of the resurrection, we've got hope and we've got joy. It's because of the resurrection. The resurrection reminds us of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus had this amazing ability to predict what was going to happen and fulfill it, predict, fulfill. He would speak forth and prophesy what was going to happen and he would fulfill it. Well, guess which one prophecy still left to be fulfilled? I'm coming back. And if we're wise, we're going to go, well, if he said he's going to rise from the grave and he rose from the grave, if he said he's coming back, then he's coming back. The resurrection is a testimony. It's a big flare in the sky to all of us saying, Jesus is coming back. Don't forget that. Don't get caught up living life right here all about you. Because Jesus is coming back, and you're going to have to take account with him when he does. So the resurrection helps remind us of that. The resurrection models the future resurrection from the dead. Jesus was the first to come with this resurrection body and demonstrate that you too, once you're in me, you're going to come back with a resurrection body. And so for those of us who love Jesus, who have faith in Jesus, we know that one day that when this mortal temporary body is put in the grave, there's going to be a day when it's resurrected to eternal life like Christ. The resurrection is a hint and a promise of the future. The resurrection is no joke. It's a game changer. And so there was this gathering, and that this gathering was this message. And after this message, there was a response. There was a response. Well, what was the response? Well, remember what Peter said in verse 21? He said, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, saved from what? It means to be saved from sins. All of us are sinners. We all do things, say things, think things that are offensive to God. He's, he's not going to let that go unchecked. We owe God for the sin and rebellion in our lives. But because of the death of Jesus on the cross and because he was put in the grave and rose from the grave, he conquered sin, conquered death. And now the only way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus. And so when we come to Jesus, those sins are covered. Those sins are forgiven. They're removed in the eyes of God only through faith in Christ. And so we're saved from our sins. We're saved from a punishment in hell for eternity. No, we're even saved from a selfish, meaningless, uh, godless, worldly life here and an existence that's all about self. We're even saved from that. We shall be saved. And so when we look at Jesus, we realize Jesus was raised to life so that we could be raised to life. 
That's really when you think about the resurrection. Jesus was raised to life so that we could be raised to life, to eternal life in heaven and also to a new life on earth. This, this is the meaning of the, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And when they heard this and when they understood this, they responded. Look at verses 37 through 41 with me. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. You know, Peter stood up at this gathering and gave that message. Everybody responded. Everybody did. Some responded with disbelief. And there are still those today, maybe even in this room, maybe watching online, that will still say, I'm having a hard time believing. Our challenge to you is keep studying, keep exploring, keep praying, keep talking to God, see that it's true. Some, some will respond with uncertainty, like, I don't know, it's, uh, there's some compelling points, but I'm kind of hung up with this. Just remember that while we're uncertain, that puts us in the camp of those who disbelieve. There is no neutral zone. There is no middle ground. You either believe or you don't. It's just that the Lord, that's how the Lord's going to separate us. And so you either believe or you don't. So while we're uncertain, we remain in a place of disbelief. And therefore, we remain under the condemnation of what will happen to those who disbelieve. But then there's those who believe. And I love the, the expression here that God gives us in this. It says they were cut to the heart. It means they were convicted. That in that moment, a, a need for God was realized. The awareness of their sin was realized. The truth that Jesus is who he was, that he's God, and that he died and rose, the, all that reality and truth came to them, and they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do? And Peter said, you've got to repent. You've got to repent. You know, repentance is a powerful word. It sounds churchy, but it's really a powerful word that we never want to lose the appreciation of nor the understanding of. To repent is not just being sorry. God, I'm just sorry for what I did. It's not just apologizing. Repentance is transformation. It's turning away. It's a change of direction. It's like the annoying GPS when you're driving and you take a wrong turn and it says rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. You're like, ah, when you hear the word repentance, it's God saying, you need to reroute your life. You are on the wrong course. You need to reroute. You need to repent and to be baptized. And, of course, baptism here, it's, it's an understanding that baptism is out of your belief. They believed, and then, therefore, they were baptized. Belief comes before baptism. If you study the scriptures over and over and over again, this is the pattern that you see. I believed, and then I was baptized. We don't get baptized so that we will believe, or we don't get baptized because someone else believes. We get baptized because we believe. That's the pattern you see in Scripture over and over and over again. And so by him saying, be baptized, he was saying, go public with the fact that you love Jesus because now you believe in him. And of course, we see right here, there were 3,000 people responded out of baptism. 3,000 people came to faith and believed. And I love the symbolism of baptism. 
It's a, it's a beautiful symbol. Here in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love the symbolism of baptism, that, that as we go into the water, it represents death to self, death to sin, all the things that Jesus did on the cross we believed, and we're dying to self, and we're being raised new, raised to new life now, and raised to eternal life, eternity. What great symbolism in those waters of baptism. And today we're going to get the joy of watching a couple people do that. Well, there was a message at this gathering, and it resulted in the response. And for those who responded, what were the benefits? When you comb through Acts chapter 2, you can just see these benefits of belief that are embedded in that passage. You know, Psalm 103, 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Well, what are some of the benefits that we see in Acts 2? Well, verse 25 It says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is on my right hand that I may not be shaken. One of the benefits of being a faith in Christ is that even when the crazy stuff in this world happens, we're not shaken at the core. Hey, we're affected, we're impacted by diagnoses that we don't want in our life, by death, by tragedy, by terrorism, by all the stuff that we see. We're definitely impacted by that, we're affected by that, but at the core, it's not shaken because we know who's in charge, We trust him despite our uh, wonderings and wanderings, and we know that he still sits on the throne, and so at the core, we're not shaken because Christ is with us. Verse 26 says, therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. And so we see here another benefit was this gladness, that my heart's full of gladness, my tongue is praising God and giving thanksgiving and rejoicing, and I dwell in this place of hope. Hope for tomorrow, hope for the next week, hope for the next month, hope for the next year, hope for eternity because Christ is coming back. And so there's a hope that's rooted in us now because we're in Christ. That's a benefit. We see verse 27, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. This is a verse that's specific to Jesus. It's a prophecy to Jesus, but it applies to us that when we're in Christ, we now have received eternal life. That means a promise of heaven with God for eternity. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's what Jesus said. If you believe in me, I'm going to raise you up to eternal life. And so that's a huge benefit, of course. Verse 28 says, You have made known to me the paths of life. And life can be confusing. It can be disorienting. So many times things come into our life that mess with our equilibrium, and we don't know which direction to go. Then we're in Christ, he speaks through his word. He speaks through the Holy Spirit, and he guides us in the paths of life, to the paths that God has for us. That's a benefit for those who believe. Verse 28 also says, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Again, enjoying the presence of God that we're never alone, and he fills us with joy. He fills us with gladness, huge benefit. Verse 38, forgiveness of sins. That's a slight benefit. That all of our sins before God have been vanquished through faith in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins. In verse 38, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself comes to live in you. And he guides you, and he teaches you, and he comforts you, and he leads you, and he seals you and says, you now belong to the Lord, and no one will ever take you away. What great benefits. Isn't God amazing? Because Jesus did all the hard work, and we get the benefits. How is that? Now, what great love, what great mercy, what a great God, what a great Savior.
that we would receive the benefits of all the hard work. Because the one who was raised to life did so, so that we could be raised to life. And so there was a gathering. Here's a gathering. There was a message. I just echoed that message pretty much. There was a response. Man, 3,000 people that day responded. I believe some of you need to respond today. And for those of you who do, there's going to be benefits. So how do you want to respond today? For so, so many of you here and watching online, you're already a believer. You're already walking in the benefits of relationship with Christ. And we just praise God with you and celebrate with you. Some of you, you've drifted. You've drifted away from Christ. Well, let today be a reunion. Come back to faith. Come back to Christ. Come back to experiencing the benefits that are already yours in Jesus that you kind of, you know, are ignoring and not engaging. But there's probably some of you here that you need to respond just like these guys did. They were cut to the heart. The reality of their sin was made real. Their need for God was made real. The truth of who Jesus was and what Jesus did was made real, his death and resurrection. I'm going to ask you to respond in, in a very interactive, a creative way today. So right now, I'm going to ask all of you to pull out your phones, okay? If you've got a phone, pull it out, all right? Just pull out your phone. You're like, are we going to call Jesus? <laughs> we're not going to call Jesus, but in a sense, we're going to call out to Jesus. Because the bottom line is, once you hear the gospel, once you hear the good news, once you hear this message, it demands a response. And so the major response is just, Conversion of the heart. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe I'm lost. I believe I need Jesus. I want to follow him. And so if that's you right now, if you are responding to the invitation to follow Christ, here's what I want you to do. Text follow Jesus to that number. Text follow Jesus to 440-941-7071. What that is, it's engaging you to do something tangible, something physical right now to say, I am choosing to follow Christ. I'm choosing to believe today. And if you text that number, we've got a, a couple friends on the other side that they're going to receive your text, and then they're just going to send you an encouraging message, and then some instructions for your next step. Because when you choose to follow Christ, it's not a one-time moment. You begin a journey that needs growth, that needs maturity. And so we want to help you grow. And so they'll send back some information and a request for some information on how to help you grow in your new relationship with Jesus. And so we're asking you to respond right now that way. For the rest of us, um, we've already responded, hopefully, and we're walking in Christ. And, and at this gathering, after this message, because of the response that we've seen and because of the benefits, we get the joy of watching a couple people now uh, do exactly what these guys did over 2,000 years ago. Out of their faith in Christ, uh, they're, they're expressing their love for Jesus through baptism, and we get the joy of experiencing and watching that. So let's join right now and watch these brothers and sisters get baptized.